You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. So Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breast piece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tents and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen the table with its poles and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering, with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for all his sons, for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of the meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who will who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns of fine linen or goat's hair or, or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands and they brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and the breast piece, and spices and oil for the light, 
and the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for, for the work of the Lord, had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Inga. Well, today we're going to uh, conclude our series in Exodus, and uh, the title of today's message is God's Holy Tabernacle Project Restarted. I want to be honest with you for a moment. When I first read through chapters 35 to 40, I thought, oh, no, not more tedious tabernacle talk. Um, This is... uh, the passage we're looking at today, chapter 35, is part of 15 chapters in Exodus that give detailed instruction on the subject of the tabernacle. So the question is, why so much? And why so much repetition? Well, we know that repetition is the art of learning. But we also know that when God re-emphasizes something, it deserves close attention. So despite my initial thinking I began to pray and began to delve and began to read and came to see the lengths that God has gone to in assuring us of his holy presence. I found myself freshly taken by his gracious project and provision. I found uh, that the temple or the tabernacle's construction and completion was was a monumental moment in Israel's history and in the history of the world. It showed that God backs his promises. It showed that God demonstrates his faithfulness. And it showed clearly that God is clearly in charge. God's intention uh, was always to have a visible people that valued and were allied to his presence. And so the tabernacle marks a new era in approaching an all-holy God. Last week, Pastor Coy spoke of the ramifications and the aftermath resulting from God's utter dismay at his people worshipping the golden calf. So God brought a, a judgmental word to bear on his people, telling them that he would remove his presence. The great thing is that it hit home. It hit home to Moses and it hit home to the people. It brought a halt to the tabernacle project, but it caused a readdressing. So perturbed was Moses that he pled with God to rethink his word of judgment. God did. And he graciously revised his intentions. What then happened was the tabernacle project restarted. So here in chapter 35, we see details of the restart and we see God's people in it being reinvigorated. Now, the first thing we want to see today is that God's holy project was bound to be completed. The Lord was the instigator and he was the architect of the tabernacle project. He had the idea and he had all the specifications in mind. The makeup of the tabernacle had to match the impeccableness of his own holy nature. Here was God's masterpiece. It was why the whole project had to be completed according to God's word. If you see in verses 1 and 4 and 10 and 29 of chapter 35, it says, as the Lord has commanded. 
God was the centerpiece and he was the linchpin in its realisation. It wouldn't happen and it couldn't happen without God. It needed his presence. It needed his recruitment. So the whole project required a holy production line of people, materials and tools. It's one thing to have a vision, but it takes God's help to carry it out. I was reminded in looking at the tabernacle, I was reminded of the vision we had at the Centenary Baptist Church in Queensland. My first full-time solar pastoring position was with the Baptist Home Mission in the western suburbs of Brisbane. It was a brand-new church plant that commenced with a dozen people meeting in a home located in a brand-new estate. We grew and soon needed to worship in the classroom of the local school. Our various other ministries operated out of homes. We had a big youth ministry of over 50 kids and, and a Sunday school of well over 100. In time, we built a new double-story manse. And then we learned of legislation for property developers that needed to allocate land for churches. So we began negotiations with LJ Hooker and eventually procured a cheap block. The block was on the side of a hill on the corner of a road junction. And then we secured the service of an innovative Dutch architect. We designed a unique building that consisted of a V-shaped self-supporting flat roof over four equally sized sectors that were in the shape of a cross. All opened under a large central paved courtroom. One sector was for combined worship, one for Christian education, one for offices and administration. The fourth sector was for youth and outreach. The fourth had cubicles with a balcony looking down onto a squash and basketball court embedded into the side of the hill. It was a groundbreaking design for a young cash-strapped church. The vision was one thing, implementation another. Having the vision never guaranteed its realisation. The vision only began to be realised when God graciously supplied funds from the sale of the old inner-city Jira Baptist Church. Here we have God's tabernacle vision. With God at the helm, the completion of the tabernacle was assured. The introduction of the tabernacle tells the story of God bearing his arm in action to save and secure and make his people super significant. Its fitting out was linked with what God had been about in the whole Exodus story where he set out to rescue his people and deliver his people from the bondage to evil and secure their freedom. And, and now God's um, proposed this project, this tabernacle, to actually um, bring his people to himself. It's summed up well by the words in Isaiah 52 and verse 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The tabernacle's preparation, its positioning and its presentation was all about God rolling up his sleeves and providing a way escape from sin. The key to understanding all the Exodus chapters concerning the tabernacle and the other 35 chapters of the Bible that teach on it is God dwelling with his people. With many of the Exodus encounters, God came in short, sharp, strong bursts. Like with the occasion of the burning bush, the plagues, the opening and closing of the Red Sea, 
his meeting with Moses on the mountain, his disclosure of the commandments and, and provisions of manna. God was present from time to time and helping from situation to situation. But now, with the tabernacle, God's presence is concentrated. His command to Moses was, let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst. So this tent of meeting was to have a supernatural occupant. It was to be the meeting place of the high and holy Lord. Following Moses' interceding for God to stick by his people, God's reply was this, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Those words are perhaps the most thrilling and comforting words that could ever be spoken to any human being. God was bringing them from a terribly restless position in Egypt to now a new position of rest in his presence. It's akin to what Jesus spoke about in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. It's interesting that before the project was refired, Moses reminded the people of the importance of rest. Uh, you see it in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 35. Uh, you know that old saying probably, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Well, all work and no rest can make a Jack a dull boy. Rest helps us not be bored by work and helps us to be more efficient and effective. Today's world is a place not unlike that of the Israelites. There is evident restlessness with people. People are moving and fleeing nations. We have people fleeing Victoria. There is acute loneliness, there's forsakenness, and there's deprivation. The world needs a presence. And many Cordy's people are going hard after presences, like that of leaders, heroes, stars in entertainment, sport, advanced technology and science. Take television. It presents itself as a real authentic presence. It's not. So-called reality shows like Block, Survivor, Farmer Needs a Wife, and even the voice, are so controlled and orchestrated. With all these kinds of presences, you would think people should never feel alone, but they do. People seek alternative presences aside from God, just like they did with the golden calf. Everybody needs a presence. They need the presence, the presence of the true and living God. We need his presence so we, we stay in touch with God and he stays in touch with us. It's the way of being truly human. I mean, Adam and Eve knew it. They enjoyed it. They left it, lost it, and thereafter, along with the rest of, of mankind, suffered the absence of God's presence. The Jeffrey Bingham, um, our past principal, wrote, people have died to God and their death throes are seen down through all history. As people 
have become separated from the living God by the death and deadliness of their sins. But now a new era was opening. God was dwelling with a race of his people. God was bringing his presence to bear upon this people. And the goal of it all was the blessing to all the nations of the earth. People were to learn what it was and is to know the presence of God. That's what the tabernacle was doing. It was bringing about God's presence to bear upon his people. It speaks of God being contactable and approachable. It assures of his ongoing help in the fight against sin and landing in the promised land. It says that God wants to go with his people. Let me ask, is God's presence an essential experience in your life today? Are you valuing it? Are you seeking it? Are you enjoying it? And then as you look around your neighbourhoods, as you look at uh, family and friends, are they knowing it? We'll pray that they might come to know God's presence because knowing it, that he's with us and sticking by us in our current COVID confinements, it's the most uplifting thing, the most wonderful truth. So testify to your unbelieving neighbours, friends and family of how you've found the presence of God a very real help. While reading up on the tabernacle, I was struck by God's meticulous instructions and meticulous attention to detail that he required of Moses. And I came to appreciate the kind of relationship that lay behind this from a very strange and outside quarter. I was listening to Sen Radio and hearing Gerald Wakeley interviewing Dean Boxall, the super excited swimming coach of the 200-400 metre Olympic freestyle champion, Arani Titmus. Uh, she beat the American world champion, Sandra Ledecky, in the recent Olympic Games. Her feat, though, required long-term planning, meticulous instructions, and attention to detail. Dean said in his interview, uh, by his own admission, he was a 24-7 in-your-face coach. He thoroughly, he thoroughly planned out everything, and, and he linked what he planned with... Um, Ariel's tenacious mindset and her dogged determination, it made for a winning team. There was one point where she said to her coach, everything you say I will do. She was so bent on betterment. Now, I know this is on a far, far lesser and, and inferior level to what we're talking about and looking at in regard to the close working relationship of, of, of God and Moses. But nevertheless, it does give a glimpse. Don't miss the fact that Moses' attitude and approach in adhering to all God wanted was due to God's dwelling with him. He knew God's presence as the presence. He kept intimate company with the true and living God. He would come away from a time with God glowing with fresh information. It was the closest of close relationships that engendered great trust. Moses enjoyed face-to-face -face fellowship. So much so that God said, I speak mouth-to-mouth. -mouth. 
And he said, the Lord spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Meeting with God made his skin shine. He beamed. He so beamed that he had to cover up. His meetings and his encounters gave him an appetite to know more and more and to do what was right. That's what lay behind the whole meticulous attention that was to be paid uh, to the tabernacle. It was this relationship that lay at the back of Exodus uh, chapters 35 and 40. It caused Moses to submit to God and build exactly as his Lord wanted. Right through the book of Exodus, we see the command of God. Again and again and again, we read words like, The Lord said, Thus says the Lord of Israel. And God spoke all these words. It says to us that God is the one to be looked to. He knows best. He is the one to be listened to. He is the one to be obeyed. It says to us, if we're going to enjoy life and have a healthy humming conscience, if we're going to experience God's forgiveness, if we're going to make headway in living a holy life, we need to know the presence of God and adhere to his commands. Obeying his word and his commands is God's path for, way for us in knowing freedom. The plan in construction and completion of the tabernacle was firstly and foremostly a work of God that right from the outset was bound to happen. It marked his presence and graciously provided a means of escaping evil. It showed God hadn't given up on his people. He showed, showed his grace being shown to his people. And then what we see in the construction of the temple, we see, in fact, that God desired his people's involvement in making it happen. The second thing we want to see is God's holy project warranted generous contributions. From verse 4 in chapter 35, we get a picture of the restart of the halted tabernacle project, of people being rejuvenated and pitching in and providing the necessary materials to make a holy dwelling fit for a holy God. It was no light feat. It needed every man to his oar. As a young boy, I can remember whenever the circus came to town, a few of my mates and I would skip out of school and whip down to the local oval to see the erection of the big top. We hoped to get some free tickets. It never happened. One thing that always amazed me was the gigantic size of the tent of the big top and how everybody pitched in and pulled together for its erection. It was like that with the tabernacle. It was all hands on deck. The construction of the tabernacle called for involvement on a detailed scale. It called for an immaculate attention to detail from the outer walls to the tapestry of the inner sanctum. The oddments and the furnishments needed to be the best. The layout, its colourings, its fabric choices, its divisions, its staves would have been made with the utmost care. No expense was to be spared. It was an investment in God's holiness. What they needed to do, though, was that they needed to pull together their possessions. Phil Riken calls it giving what you have. God wanted and God welcomed everybody's involvement. God made the plans, the people were to do the work, says Riken. The first job was to secure the necessary materials. 
The beautiful thing is God had gone before and graciously provided for them. On leaving Egypt, God had encouraged his people to take jewellery and a whole host of other valuables off the Egyptians. It was like booty. Things that were common, valuable and profane were taken away by the Israelites. Little did they know that it would all be put to good use in the construction of the tabernacle. As Egyptian slaves, they had nothing, but now as God's people, they were well provided for. And it was from those provisions they were now able to give materials for God's project. It was a marvellous happening. Having been freshly assured of God's presence after seeing they couldn't do without it, they came freshly energised and enthusiastic to the task. Their rejuvenation was expressed in willing generosity. Their generosity was now wedded to God's generosity. God had taken them from being devious and defiant to now being grateful and devoted. And instead of doing their own thing, they were now ready to do God's thing, to do what they were told. They were ready to do things from the heart, with heart and soul. That's why God wanted people whose heart was in it. He says in verse 5, whoever is a generous heart, and then in verse 21, and they came everyone whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit moved him, all the women whose hearts stirred them. And then in verse uh, 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything. There was a marvellous change that had taken place in the hearts of people. It's what God does. He works on our hearts. He changes them, softens them, and cleanses them. You can read about that in Ezekiel 36 and again in Hebrews chapter 10. God's gracious work through his son Jesus on the cross doesn't bring a heart transplant, but it brings a heart transformation. Generous giving becomes one of the fruits of being given a soft, new, cleansed heart. It's a wonderful work of grace and mercy and love on God's part, whereby he brings people to a point where they love the Lord their God with all their hearts and they become cheerful givers. People who know the powerful, loving presence of God go looking for ways to be engaged in his service. They are freed from being duty-bound and mean-spirited. So here are the Israelites, they came and they pulled their collected gold, silver and bronze, which would be used for the making of the altar, the ark, pillars, furniture and utensils. They pulled their linen and yarn for the coverings, curtains and veils. They brought animal skins for covering the tabernacle's inner and outer sanctuary and contributed acacia wood for the framework. Oil, incense and spices were brought for the priest's usage and they handed over the precious stones for the priest's garments. There must have been a whole team of on-site supervisors, supervisors and coordinators, all with um, desire to contribute. I, I think it's a rather an infectious picture we get here of people lining up with their goods to make uh, the tabernacle look really good for God. What they did was truly inspirational. It wants you... What makes you want to be in the giving business yourself? Their giving didn't stop, though, with giving what they had, but they also pulled their skills. 
invest. There's 10 to 15, Reichen calls it giving what you do. There's no doubt the, the tabernacle's materials took time to collect, but then came the manufacturing of the products and the assembling of the materials. People put forward and pulled their skills at this point. What was needed was far more than reading some instructions of a flat pack. Things now needed to be made, made from raw materials from the ground up. It required skillful, energetic people, people that could meticulously give attention to detail. A call went out to a wide spectrum of craftsmen and craftswomen to bring their special skills and talents to the cause of serving the Lord. Verse 10, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The key Hebrew words here in verses 21 to 29 are everyone and all, indicating it was a widespread community effort with great participation. The pulling together and pitching in follows when we remember the freedom God gives. That was something the, the Lord never wanted his people to forget. Uh, you remember when there was a disclosure of the Ten Commandments, just before they were disclosed. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then elsewhere he says, remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. But God freed his people so that they would want to do what he wanted. Their hearts were to be full of gratitude for what God had done and so keen now to do what he wanted. So the people pulled their skills and put them to work in gratefulness for their God-given liberty. Uh, we saw something of this uh, in the, in, during the, the Revelations preaching series when people of uh, the Koa movement had an exhibition. Do you remember that? People's skills shone. People's creativity in painting and dressmaking and drawing was stunning. Uh, and then we saw it last year in the COVID uh, lockdown time, uh, the City Kids projects and with the great Lego constructions. There's a message for us all in this that we have been given, we've been given skills, we've been given gifts and given abilities, and we need to put them to work. And, and we need even to ask, ask the Lord to develop new skills in us as well. First Peter 4:10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. I'll never forget uh, at one church I was involved in, at Mentone Baptist Church, we had a sizable, unpainted red brick hall with a grotty-looking high ceiling. Paul Williams, the uh, Boys Brigade captain, said to me one day, we really should give this a coat of paint. I said to him, let's do it. And that's what we did. We got a budget, we chose colours, bought paint, brushes and coverings, hired scaffolding, set a date and encouraged people to turn up. 52 people turned up, and by the end of the day, the ceiling and walls had two coats of paint. Many teacher, teenagers came, young adults came, 
volunteering their time and their energy. A number had never painted before, but after the day they discovered two things. They discovered how to wield a paintbrush and they had discovered how to engage in a paint fight. It was a phenomenal, unforgettable effort. I mean, just stop and, and think for a moment. Imagine what might happen when Coa West finally gets its new premises. There'll be opportunity to put your various skills and abilities and energies to work. Now, there's a, there's a summation to God's holy project which we mustn't miss. Over in Exodus chapter 39, verses 42 and 43, it says, so the people had done all the work and Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done as the Lord had commanded. So had they done it. And then Moses blessed them. There are times when, like with Moses and the people of God, God needs to give us a hard word, a threat of judgment, a word of admonishment to grant us an occasion of weakness that will pull us up and get us back on track. There's times when we need to be reconvinced and reassured and reinvigorated by the knowledge that God is with us, by knowing that he was attending to sin through the tabernacle sacrifices, and then knowing that he's dealt thoroughly with sin's power and penalty and pollution through his son's one and only sacrifice on the cross. You see, God comes and he, and he frees us and he positions us as his people. So we now want to live holy lives. May this very week be a week where you make some headway in holiness. Exodus is a marvellous story of deliverance and freedom. It's a story of God taking people to himself and causing them to be great for all that he's done for them. It's a story of God's wonderful holy tabernacle project, having shadows and symbols and types that point beyond the tent to Christ, who came as the true tabernacle of God with us. It's a story that points us to our need of being God's tabernacle, where we know his indwelling within and his avenue of escape from evil. The wonderful thing in being a believer is to know that God dwells not around us, but dwells in us. In 1 John 4, verses 12 to 15, it says, we are indwelt by the Father. In Ephesians 3, 17, it says, we are indwelt by the Son. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16, it says, we are indwelt by the Spirit. We who believe in Christ are now the tabernacle of God. His presence with us and in us means his Spirit has ministered to our spirit and caused us with a cry of relationship to cry out, Abba, Father, dear, dear Father. In these tough and trying days, may you and I have some good Moses-like fellowship times with the Father. May God bless the truth of his word to our hearts today. Let's pray together. Father, we do want to thank you today for your rescuing power, your delivering power, your providing power, your protecting power. 
We thank you for your presence, your presence to your people. We thank you that you have our well-being at heart. We thank you, Father, that in your holiness, you want to see us set free from sin and its dominance upon our lives. We thank you, Father, for the, the wonderful assurance we have that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that we can be assured of your presence with us right until the end of the world. And then we can be assured, Father, of tabernacling, tabernacling with you in glory, in heaven forevermore, where we enjoy the eternal life that you've uh, given to us now. So, Lord, bless your word to our hearts and just cause us to be encouraged by the way you have come and, and set up the means to come and know and enjoy and value your presence. Thank you for your indwelling in us. Bless us richly in knowing you and living for you and in making you known. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.